Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Aaron Keller on Zoom. And today, for the first time ever, we have game warden Zachary Blackwood, a.k.a. Zach. And we also have game warden Sean Flynn. Thank you both for being here, and I'm excited that this is your first podcast with us. Thanks for having me. And you guys, I told you I was going to introduce you as Endow Heroes. Both of you were involved in recent rescues that both of which made the news. Pretty crazy stories. But before we get into that, I just want to learn more about who you are, introduce the listeners to you. So Zach, do you want to go first? Could you just tell us about yourself and your role at Endow and how long you've been with Endow? Uh, I started with Endow back in 2008. Uh, I was lucky enough to... uh, get hired as a warden uh, my first time. Uh, since then, I've patrolled Lake Mead, uh, Southern Nevada. Uh, occasionally, I'll go into uh, Northern Nevada, but Southern Nevada is definitely uh, my home. So I've been on Lake Mead most of the time. I do spend some time down in Laughlin in my early days, but uh, the majority of my summers are Lake Mead. So I bet you have pretty busy summers down there then. You know what? Any body of water in Southern Nevada is busy. Sean, what about you? Tell us about yourself. Uh, So I am a fairly new game warden. I've been uh, hired now for about two years. And uh, my previous career was in the military. I retired uh, out of the Air Force uh, just over 22 years. So this is basically my second career and been assigned to Southern Nevada uh, both years (laughs) and uh, uh, patrol mostly the lake and the river uh, all summer long. I did not realize your background. So how was that transition into becoming a gamer Uh, and how has that been? So I think the transition because of the structure and uh, the basically the camaraderie that we have with uh, each other down here in the southern region, it's actually been a, a very easy transition. Nice. That's good to hear. It made being a field training officer for Sean much easier. (laughs) I can imagine. Well, like I said, you guys both were involved in recent rescues. Zach, do you want to go ahead? Well, first off, is this the first time you've ever been involved in a situation like this? It's it's not. uh, It's the first time one's been recognized. Uh, we, We deal with stuff like this every year. I mean, it's, we, we probably made hundreds of rescues that never, nobody ever talks about, which, you know, it's fine. That's, we're not here, we don't get into this to uh, be recognized, but uh, with, you know, all the help from the Park Service, you know, getting information about Nevada Department of Wildlife, what game wardens do out there, definitely uh, helps everybody's cause, so. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say we're highlighting this one rescue, but with all your work at Lake Mead, I'm sure there's been a ton, but let's get into it. And can you just tell us what happened? It was this huge coincidence of a situation. It was a huge coincidence. So I I was actually on land patrol that day. And in the winter, we have the option of doing land or water. 
uh, that specific day, I believe it was early February, uh, wind was blowing very hard. Uh, we had gusts to 40 miles an hour. Uh, temperatures were probably in the mid 50s, air temperature. And so I was sitting on the launch ramp. Those days we kind of wait for emergency calls to come out. Uh, it was a sunny day, so we did experience, you know, people wanting to go out on kayaks, but uh, we really didn't expect this call to come out when it did. Uh, but I was sitting on a launch ramp talking with an NPS ranger who's new to the area. Uh, we were just discussing regulations, laws, you know, what, what's similar to Park Service with NDAO and state laws. And he gets an emergency tone and the call comes through that there's a kayaker that's been separated from his kayak and he's in the water and he's, he's struggling. So we're able to uh, maneuver our way over to the fishing pier off Boulder Beach to try to get eyes on the individual uh, with binoculars for myself and the NPS Ranger. We were able to locate the individual. We could see him, his boat was drifting away much faster than he was drifting. And he was about 500 yards off the beach from where we were at. Uh, we weren't sure how long he'd been in the water at that time, but water temperatures were in the, the mid to upper 40s, which is extremely cold. And with the way the wind's blowing, that just makes the situation even worse. So uh, NPS actually did not have any rangers who were able to operate boats due to, you know, all sorts of, uh, I don't want to say licensing, but training and certificates like that. So uh, I was the only certified boat operator that day. So I made the decision, we need to get a boat on the water and get that guy out of the water as soon as possible. So NPS Ranger hopped on board with me along with an NPS medic. Uh, we were able to make it out to the individual. We had a Ranger on the shore who was kind of guiding us to the individual in the water. Uh, the waves were, were pretty high. Uh, we did locate him. Uh, we could see that he was in distress. He was freezing. Uh, he kind of had his hands clenched up, like he could not move them. He couldn't feel them. Uh, we were able to get a throw bag out to him, and he was kind of able to wrap it around his arms, and we were able to pull him in. So I'm trying to maneuver the boat in the wind, keep us from hitting him, and being able to get him pulled into the boat. But once we got him pulled in, his attire for that day was, was, was definitely not the right attire. He was wearing jeans, he was wearing a sweatshirt. I mean, you go in the water and something like that, it's, it's just gonna make you much more cold. So we were able to get him on board, get him wrapped up in a thermal blanket and expedite him to the uh, launch ramp where we could get him into a warm area and, uh, and get him some uh, medical attention. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how it happened. Uh, he tells us that he was in the water for about an hour, which that, that's amazing to us that the call, that he was in the water that long before a call was made to, uh, to 911. So it, I'm, he was wearing a life jacket and that, that's truly the only thing that saved that guy's life. If he wouldn't have been wearing a life jacket, the cold water would have overcome him and he would have perished. I, I, I truly believe that. And that life jacket saved his life. Wow, there's so many things in this story that <laughs> stick out to me, which one is just the fact, so if you guys hadn't been having that meeting, would you not, if you hadn't been meeting with MPS, um, would the rescue have taken longer? 
Oh, 100% it would have taken longer and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been coordinated properly. Uh, we, I, I could have been at, you know, Boulder Harbor. He could have been at Las Vegas Boat Harbor. The time it takes to drive to that location, get a boat on the water. Yeah, so much more time would have gone by and him being in the cold water much longer probably would have been extremely detrimental. Yeah, and if he had already been in it for an hour, that's just crazy to me. And then the other thing I keep thinking about is just the fact that I bet it was this warm, sunny day out and he probably was like, this is a great day to go out kayaking, but it just goes to show how important it is um, to check weather conditions. Remember to dress warm, even if it feels sunny out. Do you want to expand a little bit on that? A absolutely. Uh, people come out to Lake Mead and they see that it's a sunny day and, you know, they might see slight breezes in town. Well, you get out to the lake, the wind's usually blowing much harder at the lake. And they get on the water, they get a little chop going, and next thing you know, you're off your boat, your boat's drifting away faster than you can swim, water's cold, panic sets in, what do I do? And usually, you know, bad things happen in those situations. We got lucky on this, uh, on this rescue. It just like makes me like, anxious the whole time like I've swam after you know floaties that have blown off the beach and stuff and just seeing your like being that guy and your kayaks going further away and you're just trying to get to your kayak and save yourself but then if the, I could just picture those choppy waves and you guys trying to get the boat in the right spot and reading the story him not being able to grab the rope I mean it's just it's well, Aaron, you bring you bring up a good point I mean chasing after pool toys on a lake when the wind takes them, that's how the majority of our drownings take place at Lake Mead. People bring pool toys and the wind comes up, they're worried about a, a three, four, five dollar, I mean a $20 pool toy, they're worried about that and they don't think about the risk that they're taking trying to swim after something. My, my wife always asks me when we do end up having a drowning at Lake Mead when somebody say jumps off a boat and they're not wearing a life jacket. She says, how does that, like, I don't understand how people drown that way. And I explained to her, I say, most people, whether they say they're a good swimmer or not, are used to swimming in pools and they can see all the sides of a pool. It's not overwhelming. You jump off a boat and there's a little chop on the water. You come up, the shore looks really far away. And with the winds blowing a bit, the boat starts drifting. And that's when people panic and good swimmers drown all the time. And it's, it's really unfortunate, but life jackets, they save lives. Yeah, cause that guy that, that you picked up, he was wearing his life jacket, but he was not able to self-rescue. I mean, he was just a bother at that point, right? No, he, the wind would have just drifted him further and further away from the shoreline. Right. So, the life jacket did save him when he wasn't able to swim at all. All of these points are super important because, and it's nothing against that kayaker. Like this is something anyone could do. Like if it's nice and warm out, you just think I'm going to grab my kayak, head out on the water. So it's just good to remind me people and for people to hear these types of stories so that they take this advice moving into the future. Absolutely. Yeah. The more people hear about this stuff, I think the more it'll sink in that, all right, maybe I should prepare a little bit more. And then the other thing is it was just cool that two agencies were involved in this 
I don't know if cool's the right word, but <laughs> this guy was lucky and it was awesome that it is great that the two agencies worked together to make this rescue happen. Absolutely. I mean, they National Park Service backs us up all the time on shore when we need, you know, help. And we are the boating law enforcement agency for the state. So uh, even though National Park Service is a 24-hour agency, without our boats, they, they would struggle. And without them being able to back us up on land, we would struggle as well. So when the two agencies can get together and combine their, their efforts, uh, everybody's a winner at that point. Well, Zach, thank you so much for sharing your story about this rescue. We're actually already out of time for the first half of the show and we haven't even got to Sean yet. So stick around. There's another very dramatic rescue to talk about coming up right after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we have two Endow heroes joining us. We have Zachary Blackwood, who we heard from before the break, all about this recent rescue. And now we're going to be talking to game warden Sean Flynn. He was also involved with the rescue last May. Can you tell us what exactly happened? Uh, yes, I'll, uh, I'll start off with my, my shift um, where I worked most of the day, which was down at Willow Beach. Um, so I was patrolling down there. There was uh, some weather that came in. And uh, I ended up actually taking a lot of waterfall pictures that day down in the canyons because uh, what happens with all that rain, it needs to go somewhere. So it, it actually made some really good, you know, waterfalls coming off all the cliffs down there. So that part of the, the day was really good. We, uh, I started to wrap up my day, um, putting the boat on the trailer and the road that goes down the Willow Beach was actually washed out. So uh, we were kind of stuck there for a little bit with uh, a couple of vehicles that were stuck in the way. And then once they got moved out of the way, I was able to actually uh, trailer my boat up out of Willow Beach and was on Lake Mead uh, land, um, basically bringing my boat back to where we keep them stored at the hatchery. When I overheard on the radio uh, that Warden uh, Thomas Hamlin and Warden uh, Casey Humphreys were working a current rescue um, over near uh, Swallow Bay. And while they were working that one, a second call came in for approximately 12 individuals in the water, um, not far from where they were. So, uh, both, or excuse me, Warren Humphreys uh, left the first scene and was on his way to the second scene to basically assess and see exactly what was going on. And as soon as he got there, uh, he updated our dispatch with uh, the information. And as I overheard it, I radioed him and I asked him if he needed assistance, uh, which is, and he said, yes. Uh, so at that point I basically turned around and went towards Boulder Harbor and backed my boat up, put it uh, into the water. Uh, two NPS uh, rangers met me right there 
and ask if they can join. Um, and this just goes with uh, what Zach said earlier. You know, we work very well with NPS, so there was obviously no issue with them jumping on the boat and, uh, and assisting at that time. Uh, so we all got on our on my boat. Uh, we started heading out there. Um, the weather from earlier that I had at Willow Beach was basically the same uh, weather front that was hitting Lake Mead as well. So it was really windy. The waves were probably four to five feet. Uh, and it was the time of day right now was about seven o'clock at night. So uh, it's not dark, but the sun is starting to set. Um, so we're kind of dealing with a time factor as it was uh, to get out there with, with some daylight. Um, so as we're going out there, Warden Humphreys updates with uh, that he got him and uh, Warden Thomas Hamlin uh, were able to get uh, pretty much everybody uh, out of the water and onto shore and they were trying to work with the boat and they still had one individual missing. Uh, and that individual missing at the time happens to be a three-year-old little girl. <laughs> so, obviously, that puts a little, uh, I guess, uh, gets you a little bit more motivated. Uh, the good thing at the time was that they kept saying that everybody was in life jackets. So, we are assuming that she is in a life jacket. We just don't know where she is. So, uh, Warren Thomas Hamlin uh, was able to get the capsized vessel to the shore, and I showed up basically just after that happened. So, everybody, again, uh, that's in the party except for the little girl was basically on shore, and when I showed up with the MPS Rangers, you can see everybody trying to work basically to flip the capsized vessel over. And if you know anything about Lake Mead, uh, basically the, if you want to call it the beach or the coastline uh, is very rocky and sandy and it only goes, it's only shallow for a few feet and then it drops down uh, pretty abruptly. So it'll go down to five feet and then it'll go down to, to 10 or 15 or all the way down to a hundred feet within a very short distance from the shore. So this particular area uh, near Swallow Bay did just that. It basically was uh, very loose gravel, so nobody could get really any footing, and it dropped off to 15 or 20 feet within about 5 to 10 feet from the shore. It dropped off that steep. So they're trying to, you know, right this, this boat over with only having basically the uh, – the front bow portion of the vessel sticking out of the water. So now you have a very heavy vessel or boat that's in water, waves are crashing, and it's very difficult to do. So when we saw all that struggling, what I ended up doing was I got back on my boat, went back towards them, and we ended up trying to tie from my, uh, my bow line onto that vessel, and I tried to reverse uh, with my motors to try to, cur you know, to try to right that vessel over, um, and with no success. Um, so that boat was obviously very heavy, uh, with the water in it, and there was really no way to, to flip it over. Um, and we were trying to do that so we can obviously try to find the, the little girl that was in, 
in the, the boat. Um, so we tried that a few times, nothing was working. And so I, I beached my boat again and we're all basically paused. And it's, it seemed like it was minutes and it was probably more like 15 or 20 seconds or even maybe less. And I see the grandfather holding a flashlight and you can see he's trying to basically shine the light underneath, uh, underneath the boat. And, you know, obviously he's struggling and he's, you know, very emotional. And at that moment, it really just clicked uh, for me where I was like, okay, well, we can't flip this, this boat over. So I need to go underneath the boat in order to clear it to see if she's under there or not. And so I started taking off all of my gear and uh, Warden Hamlin looked at me and he said, are you going in there? And I said, yeah. So he jumped off the boat. Uh, the MPS officers, Warden Humphreys and Warden Hamlin all went to the front of the capsized vessel to basically try to secure it um, while I was going under there. So as I'm, because uh, like I was saying, about three quarters of the boat is underwater. Um, so it's just the bow end that's sticking out. So as I basically get in the water by the bow, I just let them know that this is exactly where I'm coming out. So don't get in the way <laughs> uh, because, you know, if something happens or if, if, you know, I start struggling, I don't want anybody else in my way. This is where I'm going to come out. So they understood that. I, uh, I actually uh, took the flashlight from uh, the grandfather and uh, basically started making my way uh underneath the vessel or underneath the boat and, and towards the rear uh, of the of the capsized boat. So as I'm making my way down there, the rear section where the cushions are basically divide uh, the front of the boat to the back. And right there was basically right where the water line also was underneath the boat. So, and I can't touch the ground right now. Uh, and I'm also not wearing a life jacket. Uh, if I would have, if I was to wear mine, it would have uh, automatically inflated because we have the uh, the inflatables, and I wanted to be able to get under there and back without having basically any uh, anything in my way. So as I'm making my way down there, I grab the the last cushion with my left hand, and I got the flashlight in my right. I see uh, her arm. Her arm lights up uh, with the with the flashlight, and so I basically switch hands with the flashlight and I immediately grab her wrist. As soon as I did that, she pulled on my, on my hand, basically trying to pull away because she obviously doesn't know what's happening. Um, so I actually had to squeeze fairly hard because I didn't want to let it go. Uh, I obviously knew that she was alive at that point. Uh, and then pretty much simultaneously a wave came lifted up, the rear of the boat and my flashlight actually lit up her face. And then of course it went back down. So she looked at me, I looked at her, we didn't say anything. <laughs> uh, she wasn't screaming. Uh, I couldn't see any blood or anything. So I, I really didn't think she was really injured at that point. Um, but she was wearing her life jacket, um, which was obviously another great point at that. So she was basically in that rear air pocket um, above the waterline, but in, you know, in a very small area. Um, so the only way that I could get her out of that rear area was I actually had to dunk her with her life jacket 
underneath the the cushions and pull her up and out uh, to the, towards the front. And I didn't have, I didn't really have much time to explain that. Um, I just ended up doing it. And uh, for a three-year-old, um, she's very strong. <laughs> uh, and, and anybody, anybody who has kids, um, you know, that, that grabs a phone or grabs something that they're not supposed to, they all of a sudden become, uh, they have that he-man or she-man strength, and uh, and it's it you're shocked by how much uh, strength you need to actually move that that little uh, person, right? So I uh, I ended up you know going underwater with her, pulling her under, and then uh, clearing the rear area, and then basically you know coming back to the surface. Obviously, at that point, her life jacket helps brings her back up. Uh, I have my arm wrapped around her and then I basically start swimming or, you know, basically a backstroke with my one hand and kicking my feet towards the, the bow again. And then right at that point, um, one of the MPS Rangers actually grabbed my shoulders basically underneath my arms and, and helped pull me the rest of the way out and, uh, ended up taking, uh, the little girl from me and, uh, giving her to, uh, I believe her, her mom was right there once we, basically got right out and uh obviously a big sigh of relief <laughs> from everybody at that point i have chills listening to this story and just hearing about the grandpa trying to look for her and then you jumping in what was it like when you finally grabbed her arm and saw her and knew she was okay it was just you know a lot of these stories you always hear that um you know it's always a a person that has that has died and uh so this one being that she moved her arm, I knew that she was alive. So immediately it's like a, a big sigh of relief, even though we're still, we're still not out of harm's way necessarily, but it just, it made it, it made the decision that much better. Uh, and uh, <laughs> to go back to my, in my military career, I, uh, which I think the guys down here are getting sick of me telling stories about that, but uh, it's a big part of my life. And that, (laughs) and uh, um, you know, my job in the military for, you know, my whole entire career was basically teaching uh, survival. And we actually teach helicopter pilots and air crew members um, basically how to get out of aircraft when it's in water. So, you know, I taught a lot of times underwater. Um, I'm very comfortable in the water. So once I got underneath that boat, um, I was actually very comfortable. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about myself. Um, at that point, I just knew that this is what I have to do. And, you know, I wasn't worried about, again, I wasn't worried about me being able to, to, make my way back out of there, even if I was, you know, completely underwater and I had to hold my breath for however long. Um, it was just something that, you know, you, you always fall back to your training. And that was a big part of my training for a very long time. I wasn't really worried about myself at that point. And I was very calm uh, and I was able to stay calm and it, it worked out uh, for the best. Wow. It's a bummer because these podcasts are so short that we're already running out of time, but 
this story is just so crazy. And again, you are going to be recognized with the silver life-saving medal by the U.S. Coast Guard for this. So well-deserved. I appreciate both of you coming on to share these stories. I hate ending it right there, <laughs> Sean. Like that was <laughs> a cool story. And now we're like, okay, we got to chop it. But we appreciate both of you for the work you do and just sharing those stories with us. I mean, both of those are very intense situations that I can't even imagine being involved in. So thank you both. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, you guys did such a great job on the podcast. We're going to have to have you guys back on. I want to keep talking. <laughs> yeah. You'll need to talk yeah. about all those lake meat rescues you guys do. Well, thanks again. And thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.